And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children of the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath day to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant, or your livestock, or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife, or his male servant, or his female servant, or his ox, or his donkey, or anything that is your neighbor's. The word of the Lord. Thank you all for being with us today at River Oaks. It is so good to have you here. And I want to welcome back this morning um, those who have returned safely from two short-term mission trips, one to Lebanon and one to Kenya. It is good to have you all safely back here with us. Look forward to hearing about those trips. Before we begin the message this morning, I'd like to take a moment to pray again. There are so many needs in our our country, in the world around us, um, for which we should pray. And uh, the recent funeral of a young adult just reminded me again how serious the drug issue is in our nation, the opioid issue, and all things related to that. So would you join me as we just spend a couple minutes, a minute or so in prayer about that? Father, this morning we join our hearts together in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. You have called us in your word, Father, to come with confidence before the throne of grace to obtain mercy and to find grace to help in our time of need. And this is a time of great need in our nation. Father, we pray for you to guide the leaders of our government, our legal system, and others regarding the the, uh, drug issues in our nation. And we pray for special grace and your protection around our children, our students, our kids, our young adults. I pray for our parents to have great wisdom as they care for, guide, and watch over their children. And Lord, we ask you for a solution to this crisis in our nation and for your hand of protection, deliverance, and care for our students and young adults. May your mercy be upon us, Lord, and we pray in your great, great name. Amen. Thank you all again for being here this morning. And uh, we are continuing today our study that we've called One Story. By this we mean we're standing back and looking at the entirety of Scripture from Genesis to Revelation on God's one plan revealed from beginning to end in the Bible. Some people see the Bible as two very different and unconnected parts, the Old Testament 
and the New Testament. In reality, all 66 books form a unified whole. In the New Testament book of 2 Timothy, the Apostle Paul is writing to uh, Christians what he writes, all scripture is inspired by God, and the only scripture he had at that time was what we call the Old Testament. That's the scripture to which he refers, all scriptures inspired by God and profitable for teaching, correcting, and he goes on to add, in training in righteousness, in order that we may be equipped for every good work. In other words, the scripture found in the Old Testament is necessary in order for us to be equipped for every good work. And so as we look at the one plan of God, we're, we're considering uh, even the Old Testament books. And this morning, we're going to look at the book of Exodus. Now, the book of Exodus is the second book of the Bible right after Genesis. It is so filled with, with important things in God's uh, great plan, God's great story. And the key figure is Moses. Moses is the one whom God calls to lead the Israelites out of their 400-plus years of slavery, of bondage under Pharaoh in Egypt. And it's Moses who pronounces on Pharaoh the plague so that he would let the people go, and ultimately uh, the institution of the Passover, when the angel of death, because of the blood of the lamb on the, the doorpost of the Israelite homes, would pass over them and they'd be spared from judgment. And uh, that will point one day to the, the coming of one day of the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, who is referred to in the New Testament as our Passover. So there are all these critical things in, in the book of Exodus, the parting of the Red Sea, the leading of the Israelites through the wilderness. But the thing I want to focus on this morning is the giving of the Ten Commandments. That occurs in Exodus chapter 20. And um, I'd like us to consider... The question, are the Ten Commandments relevant today? Some people say they're not, but I believe they are. We just need to understand the purpose God had in giving His people the the Ten Commandments. And I think His purpose begins with realizing what we find in Exodus 19, the chapter before the giving of the Ten Commandments, when we see God announcing His purpose to Moses, His purpose, people who are his treasured possession. And we read these verses in Exodus 19. I'm going to first read verse 4 where God is uh, speaking and he says, You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples. For all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. You hear what God is telling Moses? I brought you to myself. My people are to be my treasured possession among all peoples. You're to be me, to me a holy nation. Now the word holy, as used in scripture, carries the, the idea of being set apart. Set apart from the world, set apart to the Lord set apart to God. So God is calling for a people to be set apart to himself. That's his purpose. People he's brought to himself and are now to live as people who are set apart to him, a holy nation set apart to the Lord. Keep this in mind 
because God proclaims this purpose before we get to the Ten Commandments, God's purpose for people set apart to Him. Now, we get to the giving of the Ten Commandments in Exodus chapter 20, and we see something else that is very significant before the announcing of the actual Ten Commandments. That is God's saving work, His deliverance for His people. As God begins to give through Moses these Ten Commandments, we read first these words. God spoke all these words saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. And in his very next words, he's going to begin giving the Ten Commandments. But let's, let's note that this comes first. Before God tells the Israelites, before he tells us what to do and how to live, he tells us what he has first done for us. This is a critically important pattern to grasp in Scripture. God acts for us before he tells us how to live for him. The book of the Bible that I think illustrates this more clear than, clearly than any other is, is the New Testament book of Ephesians. It's made up of six chapters, and you could split it right in half. Chapters 1 through 3, God says, here's what I've done for you. I've saved you. I've raised you up with Christ. And then we get to chapters 4 to 6, and he says, now walk it out. Live it out. So this is God's pattern. He works for us before he tells us how to live for him. The words of the Ten Commandments are going to come after the Passover, the exodus from Egypt, the parting of the Red Sea. God acts for us before he tells us how to live for him. As Kevin DeYoung says in his excellent book, The Ten Commandments, salvation is not the reward for obedience. Salvation is the reason for obedience. God brings about the deliverance of his people before he tells them how to obey him. And it's the same for us. God saves us not because we've worked hard enough or done enough good deeds to merit our salvation. He saves us purely because of his grace and his mercy. Then he teaches us to live out that salvation. By the way, if you want to really study a simple book, but a really good book on the Ten Commandments, I highly recommend this book by um, Kevin DeYoung. So God, our creator, our savior, who alone knows how best we should live and has the right to tell us how to live as our creator and our savior, now gives the Ten Commandments, God's commandments, his will for his people. And we see them on the next slide, all ten listed here. Number one, as we read through Exodus, as uh, Maddie did just a moment ago, you shall have no other gods before me, commandment number one. Keep in mind, God's saying, I'm the Lord your God, brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Number one, you shall have no other gods before me. The Israelites, when they were in Egypt, of course, uh, witnessed the worship of many other types of gods, idols. And God is saying, I'm the one true God. I'm the only one. This command is repeated throughout the Old Testament because God, the Lord God, does not share his throne with any idols. And we may think this is an irrelevant command for us, but the fact is 
we often put other things before God, our wealth, our money, our material possessions. The Apostle Paul refers to covetous greed as a form of idolatry. The New Testament, you, you shall have no other gods before me. The second is, is closely related to it. You shall not make for yourself a carved image. He goes on to, to uh, speak further in this command saying, you shall not bow down to them or serve them. So he's talking here about carved images that are going to be worshipped, that are going to be idols, common in, in their time, in their day. This is not saying if you enjoy woodworking, you can't carve the image of a bear or your pet dog or something like that out of wood. It's saying you're not to make something that you bow down to and, and worship. You're not to put it in your house as an idol. Don't make a carved image. Number three, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Obviously, this would include blasphemous use of God's name as a form of cursing. I, I hear too many people today, including Christians, often saying, Oh, God, as a form of anger or exasperation. And personally, I think that is something we should avoid, even when we just use the very word God. We should regard his name as holy because the name of the Lord represents who he is. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. The Hebrew word for Sabbath uh, carries the meaning of to cease, ceasing, and it's a cessation of work. And um, in Scripture, I think we can understand the Sabbath as a day for worship, corporate worship, but also rest from that which is our normal work. Honor your father and your mother. Now, we typically think of this, we, we like to quote this one to, to kids oftentimes, to get them to obey mom and dad, and honor your father and your mother. The Bible says that, it's good to teach your children the Ten Commandments. But you know, when Jesus references this command in the New Testament, he, he is using it when he's speaking to the Pharisees and religious leaders about not neglecting responsibilities for material care for father and mother who are older elderly and may have need in life, the importance of caring for them. I'll go through these others uh, quickly. You shall not murder, pretty obvious. You shall not commit adultery, likewise. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor, and you shall not covet. So to the question, are they relevant for us today? I would say absolutely they are. But this is important to, to stress they're relevant, but not as a means of earning our salvation. Not the way the Pharisees in Jesus' day thought of themselves. I haven't committed adultery. I haven't murdered anybody. I haven't stolen, so I am made righteous before God. The Ten Commandments are a guide for living out the salvation that only comes through Jesus and his death on the cross and his resurrection from the grave. The commandments, the Ten Commandments, I think also show us how to fulfill <clears throat> the two greatest commands in the Bible, to love the Lord our God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength. And we do that by not putting God's before Him, by reverencing His name, by worshiping Him on the Sabbath day. And the second greatest command, to love our neighbor as we love ourselves. And that certainly is supported by obedience to the following Ten Commandments. Now, Jesus' commentary 
on the commandments is extremely important. And we read in the New Testament, Jesus' commentary on commandments six and seven, and the way they focus on heart intent. You'll see that on the screen from Matthew chapter five. In chapter 21 of, uh, of Matthew five, Jesus said something that would have been really shocking to the people listening to his sermon on the Mount uh, in verse 20, rather. He said, I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you'll never enter the kingdom of heaven. So the people listening to him would have said, wait a minute now. The scribes and the Pharisees, they're the most religious people in our culture. How is there any hope for us? Our righteousness can't exceed theirs. They keep all these rules. They add all these extra rules. What Jesus is pointing to is a righteousness that is much, much higher than their mere human righteousness. It is a righteousness that only he can provide and he would provide in his death on the cross, in his resurrection from the grave. God made him to be sin for us so that in him we might be made the righteousness of God, the apostle Paul said. But Jesus' commentary on commandments six and seven that is murder and adultery, focus on heart intent. So he's teaching us something really important about the, the commandments here. He's teaching us God's not concerned with a bunch of outward rule keeping. God's concerned with the human heart. And Jesus says, you've heard it was said to those of old, you shall not murder. Whoever murders shall be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who's angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. Whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. Wow, that's concerning. And look at the next one. He goes on to say, you've heard that it was said you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent He's already committed adultery in his heart. Jesus is taking the commands and going to the heart intent that lies behind them. The anger, the hatred, the lust. Jesus is addressing the heart intent. And in so doing, Jesus is showing us how the commandments show us our need for God's grace, God's salvation, God's forgiveness, because when we look at the heart intent behind the commandments, every one of us has got to say, I am guilty. I am guilty of harboring resentment and hatred. I'm guilty of lustful intent. I'm guilty of coveting. So in a way, the commandments are like a great big spotlight that bring us to Christ. The law prepares us for the gospel of Jesus. So that we come to God, not on the basis of keeping his laws perfectly, but in humble recognition that apart from Jesus Christ, there is no other way. And looking to him for our salvation. Now, again, Jesus is not doing away with Ten Commandments. He's explaining the heart devotion necessary to obey them. And he will provide the grace and power to obey that heart intent through the giving of his Holy Spirit after Christ's resurrection from the grave. I'd like to take a few minutes today to um, focus on one of the commandments, the one about adultery. 
And I'd like to, to take it in light of Jesus' words that have to do with the heart intent behind the commandment. And take a few minutes to address an issue that is directly related to that commandment, but has become an incredibly serious problem in our world today, in our culture. And one that is, um, I think, a particularly great challenge for our uh, children and for our students, because they are being targeted uh, in this matter. And what I'm talking about is um, pornography. On the screen, you're going to see um, the beginning of some research. This, um, this data that I'm about to share with you comes from the National Center on Sexual Exploitation. It's a summary of a whole bunch of different research called Pornography and Public Health Research Summary. Um, to, to my knowledge, it's not specifically Christian, biblical, but a summary of a whole bunch of studies. It's about 30 pages with over 100 footnotes. And I'm just going to read to you a few of their conclusions. They begin the, the summary, this lengthy summary, with their conclusion, kind of a statement that summarizes everything in their research, and it's this. Pornography is a social toxin that destroys relationships, steals innocence, erodes compassion, breeds violence, and kills love. Now, just a few statements out of this report. Number one, a study of university students found that 93% of boys and 62% of girls had seen internet pornography during adolescence. Um, my, my wife Beth and I, our daughter Anna and her husband are on staff with Crew, uh, better known to some as Campus Crusade for Christ, uh, typically in colleges, but they work with high school students and middle school students. And, and this week, uh, I was reading their, their newsletter that just came out this week, and it has to do with a, a uh, short uh, winter conference they call Fast Break. And it goes, one particularly sobering part of Fast Break this year came about as a result of the guys-only and girls-only times. Very late one evening, spurred by some of the conversation during the guys-only time, Bryant and another staff member felt led to talk with a smaller group of guys, a group of 20 to 25 guys, and these are high school boys, so these are young men in high school. Um, they felt they should talk to them about the issue of pornography. 20, 25 boys now. <clears throat> the vast majority of the boys in the room confessed to an addiction to pornography. This issue is rampant and has many students, male and female, in chains. Please pray with us for freedom for these young people and wisdom for our staff and volunteers as we navigate this difficult issue um, with them. The thing that angers me most about this mega industry, multi-billion dollars, is the way, according to what I've heard, seen, read, um, they target our children with their phones in their rooms. Problem with pornography, and the reason it's so pervasive today, is the, the accessibility, uh, affordability, and the anonymity. 
The, we'll go on with the next slide here. The, the use of pornography by batterers, people who batter uh, women, uh, significantly increased a battered woman's odds of being sexually abused. The thing I, I read in uh, parts of this report that I would not share with you uh, here in a worship service, um, the details of this, is that people who, who really get an addiction to pornography um, find themselves viewing increasingly deviant forms of pornography. And thus it is no surprise that it leads to violent and deviant behaviors. Since 2011, there have been 30 peer-reviewed studies which reveal pornography has negative and detrimental impacts on the brain. Next slide. Uh, growing evidence suggests that pornography use hijacks the brain's reward system in the same way that drug use does. This is why many literally do suffer an addiction, addiction to pornography use. Pornography use was strongly and negatively related to marital quality over time. In other words, it's going to harm a marriage relationship. In fact, next slide, researchers found the probability of divorce roughly doubles for men and women who begin viewing pornography. And I'll say it again, their summary statement. Pornography is a social toxin that destroys relationships, steals innocence, erodes compassion, breeds violence, and kills love. Then the final slide is from a different organization, Gallup, who does Gallup polls. Percentage of Americans who think pornography is morally acceptable in 2017, it was 36%, 2018, 43%. Haven't seen 2019 data, but if it continues trending in the same way, um, could be even higher. As we reflect on Jesus' commentary on commandment number seven, about viewing with lustful intent, we see we've got a real issue in our nation. And I want us to take a few minutes now <clears throat> and pray for those here for whom this is a very real struggle. Pray for <clears throat> parents here and then, then give you uh, a few resources that may be of help um, for yourself or for those who want to protect your children um, as they grow toward adolescence. So would you join me as we pray about this now? Father, we come to you, you alone, Lord, our creator, our savior, the one who's told us how to live, the one who said thou shalt not commit adultery, the one who explained that that includes this whole matter of lustful intent. Father, we come to you for mercy, for cleansing, for forgiveness. I pray for those here in this room for whom this is indeed a serious problem. I pray you'd pour upon them your healing grace and your mercy, your conviction of sin and righteousness and judgment, your holy power to free them. And I pray, Lord, for those who are hiding in shame that you would bring them into the light of your truth and bring your delivering power, bring your freeing power.
power. Father, I pray for parents to know how to discern and watch over and protect their households and their children. I pray, Lord, for our children, our students, our young adults, that you, Lord, would be a shield of protection around them, that you would place your protective grace upon them to protect their souls and protect their minds from this pollution. Lord, you said in your word that true religion is found in keeping oneself from being polluted by the world. Father, would you give us the grace and power to do this in this world in which we live? We ask for your mercy. We ask for your grace. In the mighty name that is above every name, the name of Jesus. Amen. On the screen, you'll see some resources. I have to tell you that I have not read um, or, or used any of these, but these came from um, folks on our staff uh, for the most part. The Conquer video series, um, Pure Desire by Ted Roberts, Surfing for God by Michael Cusick. Some websites that may be of interest, um, CovenantEyes.com. Uh, CovenantEyes is a filtering software to protect your, your household if you want something for, for your, yourself, for your kids. Um, PureDesire.org, FaithfulAndTrue.com. And then a couple of books, Every Young Man's Battle and Preparing Your Son for Every Young Man's Battle by Stephen Arterburn and the other authors you see there, Fred Stokes and Mike York. Now, is there hope? We read these data and I hear, hear the, the figures. I mean, it seems incredible what's happening in this area in our nation now. Is there hope for the person who's been really caught and feels trapped in the use of pornography. And of course there's hope. There's hope for every form of bondage in the power of God's word and the power of the Holy Spirit. The Apostle Paul tells us to present our, our bodies as a living sacrifice to God, not to be conformed to the world, but transformed by the renewal of your mind. That tells us that transformation of our lives by the renewal of our minds is not only possible, but it is the will of God. Paul later, writing to the Ephesians, notes that one of the things Jesus does for his church, you see in Ephesians 5, is to wash us with the water of his word. In the middle of that verse on the screen, and in Jude, I think we sing about this in one of the songs we sang this morning, that God is able to keep you from stumbling. And I love this verse. And to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. Now think about that for a moment. No matter what you, you or I may have done, God is able not only to stop the stumbling, he is able to present you one day before his own glory, blameless and with great joy. This is only possible because of the gospel of Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit that applies his gospel to our lives and enables us to walk in continual cleansing. The one who saves us continues his work by washing us throughout life. Now, there will be great effort called for 
on our part, we have great responsibility. It's going to require honesty, confession of sin, yielding to God's power, purposeful, determined effort. And as James says in 1 James, James 1.25, to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. But ultimately, it is God's power that will free us. So, the Ten Commandments. Are they relevant today? Of course they are. But not as a way to earn our salvation. Jesus is the only way to salvation. The Ten Commandments express the will and mind of God for living out life as a person who has received his salvation. As a person who's growing to love God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength and love our neighbors as ourselves. The Ten Commandments show us how to do that. And as the Holy Spirit changes us over time, our heart's desires and our heart's intent will align with God's will for us that's revealed in the Ten Commandments. And that is my prayer for every one of us this morning. That we fulfill these commands not in the strength of human will, but in the power of the Holy Spirit given us through the gospel of Jesus. Would you join me as we pray about that right now? Father, these are some heavy things today. But Father, you are a great and glorious God. You are the one who alone can present us blameless before your own throne without spot or blemish. You alone are the one who can wash us with the water of your word. You alone, Lord, can free us from the power of darkness so that we are set apart a kingdom of priests to you and a holy nation for your own treasured possession. And we give you glory. How we thank you that your mercies are new every morning. Now I pray this morning, Father, for anyone here who has never truly accepted Jesus Christ as his or her Savior and Lord, that this morning you would bring that person to an awareness of their need. And if you are here today and that is true of you, and you believe in Jesus Christ that he died on the cross and rose from the dead and you today would like to receive him as your Savior and Lord, I invite you to do that by joining me in a simple prayer using these words. Dear God, I do believe that Jesus died on the cross for me and you raised him from the dead to be my Savior. Lord, I need your salvation. I turn from my sin and I turn to you. Be my Savior and my Lord, my Deliverer, my Guide. Help me to live for you from this day forward. Amen.